now? Okay. All right. How's everyone this evening? Good? Good. All right. Well, welcome back to Jesus on Prophecy. Glad you joined us again tonight. <clears throat> the message titled tonight is Prophecies End Time Lamb. And so before we jump right in, you know, we have to do something very important, or I do at least, as a, to uh, pray with you. Will you guys pray with me? All right, let's bow your, bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to worship before you this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to present your message. And so, Lord, I ask that you would speak through me. Thank you for Jesus dying on the cross for us to give us the hope of eternal life. Lord, I pray that it would be the decision on everyone's hearts as we leave here and that we'd be drawn a little closer to heaven, that you'd reveal to us the, the truths that you want us to see tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> When, when we consider all of the prophecies of the book of Revelation, many people think of the beasts, they think of dragons, they think of the mark of the beast or similar things. Many people become fearful about the future and they have a tendency to want to shy away from Scripture because of that. The things that are mentioned are certainly important but uh, for helping people to understand what is coming. But God is not one to just drum up fear. Nothing that God shares with us should be fearful when His love is in our hearts. For the Bible says that perfect love casts out what? Fear. Casts out all fear. And so Revelation reveals God's last day message. It reveals beasts and symbols that unlock events in our day. But it opens much more than that. Prophecy reveals the truth that God has already been triumphant and will be triumphant in the end. Amen? It reminds us that He will have the last word and that Jesus has already gained the victory for us through His life and resurrection. What are the last days for then if all of that is done. They are to reveal that God truly is good and that He is good in this great controversy or this battle between good and evil. They are to reveal that His power to save is more than just forgiveness of our past sins. It's also that, so that we can be victorious in our, sin, in our lives today. God always sends a message to prepare His people for major worldwide events that, effect, that will affect their eternal security and their eternal destiny. There is a biblical pattern. God's message of warning is always sent before His judgments. His warnings are always a message of love and opportunity to turn to Him for, every, for anyone who is willing. A loving God invites men and women to be saved before the, the coming calamity, his desire is for all to be saved. 
And in Noah's day, God sent a message to prepare men and women for the coming destruction of the world by water. He longed for people to be saved, not destroyed by the flood. God loved humanity so much that He allowed Noah to preach for 120 years. 120 years of mercy. 120 years of grace. 120 years of loving appeals. It's a message of mercy. It was a message of warning. And it always precede, mercy and warning always precedes a major biblical event. It was only after the inhabitants of Noah's day rejected the message of mercy that God sent the flood. In the New Testament, God sent John the Baptist to prepare the way for the coming, first coming of Jesus. It would be surprising then if God did not have a message of mercy to, to prepare the world for the second coming of Christ. Friends, wouldn't it be amazing if God changed His pattern in the last days? All through history, God has sent a message to prepare people for great world-shaking events. Once again, today, He has a special message to prepare them for the second coming of Christ. All through the Bible, we see those, patter those same patterns. And in the Bible's last book, in Revelation, God has sent a message that is as significant for us today in our day as Noah's as Joseph's and John the Baptist's in their day. There is an urgent end-time message in the book of Revelation which has eternal significance for our world tonight. And this message is as vital as was John the Baptist's message in, uh, in his day that people were looking for when they were looking forward to the first coming of Christ. You see, we are looking for toward the second coming of Christ and we have a message that God is trying to share with us. And it's found in the heart of the book of Revelation. Right in Revelation chapter 14. Right in the very middle, in the very center. Let's read the end time message directly from Revelation. Chapter 14 verse 6 says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. God's last day message is pictured as carried by angels in mid-heaven. It's an urgent message. The angels do not float. They fly. That They carry a message rapidly. It goes swiftly and quickly to the ends of the earth. It is a universal message. It goes to every kindred and every nation and tongue and people. This message from Revelation is as vital for us to understand in the preparation for the coming Christ. And there is no more important message for today. What event does this message prepare for all of humanity? Revelation 14. 14 through 16, it says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest 
of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle and the earth and the on the earth and the earth was reaped. So what is the meaning of Revelation's symbol of the harvest? Well, we don't take my word for it. We go to the word of God. It says in Matthew 13 verse 39, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. And so Revelation describes the second coming of Christ with the symbolism of Jesus coming to reap earth's final harvest. The message of the three angels prepares men and women living in earth's last hour for the glorious, spectacular return of our Lord. A new day will dawn and Christ will return. The heavens will be illuminated with the glory of God. The reign of sin will come to an end and Christ will come to take His people home. I want to be one of those people. What about you? But before He returns, He sends a message, a vital message preparing His people to go home. Are you ready for it? Here it is. Revelation 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. Revelation's message is the, is the message of the gospel. The good news that through Jesus our sins can be forgiven. Our guilt can be gone. The condemnation can be over. The accusing voices can be silenced. The gospel is also about the good news that the grip of sin in our lives, it can be broken. The chains which bind us can be severed. And the prisons that enslave us, they can be unlocked. Through Jesus, friends, we can be set free. The Apostle Paul, he describes in the gospel, uh, or he describes this gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says this, Verses 3 and 4, For I delivered to you first of all that which I have also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Friends, the everlasting gospel is that Christ died for our sins. The gospel centers on the death of Christ, and our hope is anchored in the cross of Christ. Romans 5 verse 6 through 10, uh, particularly verse, uh, verse 8, it says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet, or were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so there is no greater love in the universe than the unselfish love of God. His love is pure enough to receive us even when we had set ourselves against Him. His sacrifice on the cross takes our place. He is our substitute. And there is no one except our Creator that could have done this for us. No one else has to carry, no one else has the strength to carry our sin on their shoulder except for Jesus. And He died a death for you and no one else could have done better. Our hope depends on what Christ did for us. Amen? Our hope or our faith depends on what Christ has done for us. 
not what we can do for ourselves. Through the cross, salvation, forgiveness, mercy, and grace are ours. There is no other way to save the human race. We cannot do anything to save ourselves or are in favor with God. We must depend on what Christ has done for us and what He will do in us. In the most familiar text and scripture, Jesus declares this, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I remember hearing a uh, famous uh, evangelist tell a story of when he said uh, there was a, uh, some parents that had their, uh, one of their child, children died uh, at a young age. And as the mother got up to say some things about the, the child at the, at the funeral, she was trying, she had such a hard time talking that she couldn't get the words out. And she got stuck on one specific word when she was trying to say how much she loved this child. She said, we loved you so, so, she was trying to say we loved you so much. But every time she got to the word so, her voice would quiver and, and, and fade out. She could not get it out because she loved this child so much. And so when I look at John 3.16 and it says, For God so loved the world. He's talking about you and me. And that emphasis on the word so. The second thing about the everlasting gospel Christ lived a perfect life. Romans 5 verse 10, for if we, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so not only did Jesus die for us, but he also lived for us. Often you hear people speaking about the death of Jesus on the cross, but we should also talk about His righteous life. That life can be yours, it can be mine, when we put our faith and trust in Him. Christ's perfect, perfect life record is put in place of the sinful records of all who accept Him. He was perfect. We are imperfect. Through His perfect righteousness, we stand before God's throne complete only in Him. Jesus took what we deserve, which is death, so that he, we could have what He deserves, which is eternal life. Christ, the third thing is Christ rose from the dead. Jesus not only died for us, but He also lives for us. And we can bring to Him all of our heart heart's longings and all of our heart's desires. We can come to Him with all of our weaknesses and sins. We can bring to Him everything that troubles and confuses us. He is alive. He is a living Savior. He is here every minute of the day for you and for me. The fourth thing is Christ ascended to the Father. The world's political leaders, they all die. Nebuchadnezzar, that we talked about the second night, he's dead. Alexander the Great talked about then too, he's dead. Caesar, dead. Napoleon, dead. Hitler and Stalin are all dead. Their graves are still with us today, 
and visited by thousands. But the difference in their grave is that, uh, is that Jesus' grave is, and Jesus' grave is that theirs are full and Jesus' grave is empty. Because Jesus is alive. Amen? He ascended to the Father 2,000 years ago and is before the throne at this very moment pleading the merits of His blood for you. He knows your name. He understands your needs. He longs to hear your prayers. His greatest desire is to save you in His kingdom. Notice what Jesus says here in John eleven twenty five. This is the one, one of the most powerful verses that we can believe today. It says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. What a beautiful promise. He is the resurrection and the life. Though Jesus is dead, He is alive today. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death and eternal death. So why then did Jesus remain in the grave? Though He had, uh, though he had every sin of every person from every time in, hist uh, in history upon Him is because the righteousness and pure life that he possesses is greater than the sin that you and I have. Friends, <laughs> this is amazing. Because Jesus has the power to raise you to spiritual life. His righteous, the same righteousness that was in him will be in you when you receive him by faith. You may ask, okay, well, what is faith? It's simply the belief that God will do what He said He will do. It's simple trust in His promises to do for you what you cannot do for yourselves. Friends, do you believe that He, that he can bring life to the deadness of your sin tonight? Friends, He has the power to do it. He is able. If Jesus was resurrected from the dead... He is more than human. He is divine. If Christ was resurrected from the dead, He has power over the grave. If Jesus is really divine, His offer of eternal salvation is real. If Jesus is really, if Jesus is really divine, He can change our lives. Resurrection power can transform us. Friends, deep, deep within our hearts. You may ask, how can I find peace? How can I be free from guilt? How can bad ha my bad habits be changed? And how can my sins be overcome? They are so hard. I've tried before. Friends, the everlasting gospel is the answer. Jesus is the answer. He forgives. He still changes lives. And His grace and His power can be ours tonight. And this gospel will be preached into the entire world before Jesus comes. Every individual will have the opportunity to respond to the claims of God's love. Friends, it begins tonight. What is your choice? What choice will you make? Revelation's urgent end-time message is pictured by these three angels flying in the midst of heaven, following an appeal to the entire world to accept the everlasting gospel. It is urgent that, uh, or th this urgent call is to do three things. The first 
is a call to obedience. Obedience is a neglected truth in some Christian circles today. Too many Christians emphasize free grace without paying attention to the importance of God's law. Revelation 14 verse 7 it says, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made the heaven and earth, sea and the springs of water. So what does it mean then to fear when it says to fear God? To fear God means to respect or reverence Him, to reverence God by obeying Him. Look at this in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Look at this text in Proverbs 3, verse 1. Both of these books were written by the, the wisest man to ever live, by Solomon. And he says here, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. In an age of fading morality, God is calling us back to the obedience of His law. He's calling us to keep His commandments. Revelation 14 describes God's end-time people in this way. Revelation 14, verse 12, Here is the patience of the saints. That's you and me. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Friends, only those whose hearts have been transformed by Jesus can obey Him in the last days. Without Christ living in the heart, we are the enemies of God and rebellious towards Him. But with His presence influencing our lives, we can live the way that He has called us to. At the end, end of time, according to Bible prophecy in the book of Revelation, God will have a people who have been so transformed by His love and His truth. Revelation 14, 7, again, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. God's last day message is a call first to fear or obey God. Secondly, it's a call to give Glory to God. To call to give glory to Him in the context of earth's final judgment hour. The path to giving God glory is to first give Him your heart. But what does it mean then to give glory to God? To give glory to God means to honor Him in our lifestyle choices. God's last day message is calling us to honor God in how we treat our bodies. Just like we talked about uh, with Dr. Sue just a, a few minutes earlier. This includes what we eat, what we drink, and how we live. It includes every aspect of our lives being surrendered to God and His ways. If His ways are best, then why not always choose the best? That's where we'll find the greatest joy and happiness when we live according to God's will. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this, so it's not my words, but it's the word of God, who says, therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Romans 12, verse 1, another one here says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living 
sacrifice, meaning it's not always going to be easy, but it is the best. And it is what God's plan is for you. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And so our bodies are not fun houses. They are temples of the living God. When Jesus lives within, He will live His life through ours. It becomes very difficult for us to abuse our bodies with bad choices when we know that Jesus is dwelling within us. So we've discovered what we're supposed to be doing then. As Christians who have accepted the gospel and are saved by grace, God appeals to us to lovingly obey Him and give glory to Him in the way that we live. That's what it means to fear Him or, and to respect Him. He also appeals to us to give Him glory and honor in every aspect of our lives. And if we continue reading in Revelation 14, the Scripture gives us this urgent message. It says in verse 7, And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And so what is, who is the message calling us to worship? It's the, calling us to worship the Creator of heaven and earth. Here is an urgent message in the last days of earth's history calling us back to the worship of the Creator. In an age of evolution, when millions have, have dismissed the idea of a Creator God, Revelation 14 verse 7 appeals to us to worship Him who made heaven and earth. From the minutest atom to the grandest galaxy, all nature calls us to worship our loving Creator. The universe is so vast and so advanced, it's, the most, it's very difficult to imagine it not having a creator. Every day, new discoveries are being made in nature and in outer space that reveal a divine creator. Life is not by chance. Science today cannot explain how seed grows. Now, we believe in science, but... True science points us to a creator that has designed all we know. The reason creation is so broken is that sin has impacted our world for thousands of years, and yet it is still beautiful and alive. It testifies of God's power as creator. And when we look at creation, we can sense the power that was involved in making the universe and our world. When we consider it, we can realize that the same power that God used to create, to create this world and the universe is the same power at work in our lives for salvation. Amen? The very basis of worship is the fact that God created us. From the dust of the earth, God formed us and breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. God alone creates and gives life. And that is why the book of Revelation in the last days calls us to worship Him who made heaven and earth. Revelation 4 verse 11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by, you, by Your will they exist and were created. And so the final conflict between good and evil, it focuses on the issue of worship and specifically who we worship, the creator or the creature, the creator or the beast. 
It calls us back to accepting God's sign of loyalty rather than the beast's mark. Number three, worship God. And so Revelation's final message calls us back to worshiping the Creator. For generations upon generations, people have forgotten God as the Creator. They assume that life came in a vacuum or that the very breaths that we take are of our own devising. But the Bible calls us to recognize Him as the source of all life that we be, that, uh, that is to be recognized by how we live our lives. And so through the message of the first angel, of these three angels, we have discover, discovered as Christians that we are suppo supposed to be doing is obeying God and giving glory to Him in our lifestyles. We have discovered why we are supposed to do it is because He is our Creator, because He made us. So He is worthy of our allegiance. Amen? Let's discover why this message is so critically important. Revelation 14, 7 again. Here it says, the underlined part, it says, the hour of His judgment has come. And so Revelation's final message does not say that the hour of God's judgment will come. It says that the hour of His judgment has come. And so could it be that we're living in the judgment hour now? Could it be that the destinies of all humanity are soon to be settled by the choices we are making now? Before the coming of Jesus, heaven's final judgment will determine who will receive what reward when He comes. We'll be studying that in, deep, uh, in, in a bigger picture and a, a whole night will be dedicated to that. So you're going to want to keep coming. Keep coming back. We're going to get deeper into that later. I don't have time to, get, uh, to go into it now. Actually, I think that's the next, I think that's on Monday. But Revelation is a book about eternal choices. Look at this, Revelation 22:12. It says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every one according to his work. So if Jesus is coming to give out his rewards, then there must be a judgment preceding his return to determine who receives the reward when he comes or what reward when he comes God calls us to decision no one can be on the fence why because the devil owns the fence you say well I'm just not ready to make that decision yet that means you're on the fence the devil owns the fence you either on God's side or you're on Satan's side Jesus said he who's not with me is against me and so we must make our decided choice to serve God and not waver. Revelation 14, verse 7 says, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. God never makes a mistake. Earthly courts make mistakes. Earthly judges make mistakes. Earthly juries make mistakes. But God never makes a mistake. His judgments are true and righteous. Revelation re reveals that every human being alive when Jesus comes has already made their final decision for or against Christ. 
Revelation 22.11, it speaks very clearly about this. It says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. Friend, why be afraid when Jesus can represent you? Why be afraid when He has a, made a provision for you? The Christ of prophecy is appealing to you tonight. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to live in His kingdom forever. He can't bear the thought of you being lost. More than anything else, He desires to be with you forever. So He has sent this urgent end-time message in Revelation 14. So there can be no mistake about the importance he pictures as it being sent by three glorious angels in the midst of heaven. And so let's summarize this important, vital message. The message of the first angel is a call to accept the everlasting gospel. A call to loving obedience. A call to give glory to God in all of our lives. And a call to worship the Creator. An urgent call to live godly lives in the light of earth's final judgment. God's final appeal is an appeal for loyalty. It's an appeal for commitment. It's an appeal for obedience. This urgent message in Revelation 14, it reveals truth and it exposes error. In the book of Revelation, Babylon represent, represents spiritual confusion. And just as God confused the languages on, at the Tower of Babel, at the end of time, man-made teachings based on tradition would, confuse, or would bring confusion into the Christian church. And so the message of the second angel in Revelation 14 announces that all man-made systems will stand in the final crisis. Here's what God says in His Word in Revelation 14, verse 8. And another angel, this is the second one, followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And so false doctrines would come into the church through this false religious system called Babylon. God is calling His people today back to his word. The Bible is the foundation of the Christian faith. Amen? How many of you remember when I mentioned that, uh, that I would share something about, with you about the feet of the iron and the clay and what it meant spiritually? Anybody remember that? All right, so I'm going to share with you some of that now. All right, so it says Daniel 2.41, just, just to recap, it says, And whereas thou sawest the feet... And toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron. The kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron. For as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. All right, so what, how many types of clay do you see in there? Potter's clay and miry clay, there's two. All right, so why would, the, why would it be different? What would make it different from, go from potter's clay to miry clay? 
What is it mixing with? What does iron rep represent? Iron represents Rome, okay? And then we have the potter's clay. What is potter's clay? What does clay represent in the Bible? Anybody know? Well, let's not take anybody's uh, interpretation. Let's go to the Bible. Is that okay with you? Let's go to the Bible. Isaiah 64, verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. And you are our potter. And all we are are the work of your hand. And so, what does the clay represent? Us, and we are the church, God's people, right? So, here you have the, the, uh, the mixing of the iron and the clay, and does anybody know what the word miry means? Remember it said miry? Right here? Miry clay? Miry means dirty. So, here you have the church mixing with Rome, coming together, it makes it dirty. The, the, the church becomes dirty. That is, when the church and state mix, it brings in this, these traditions and these uh, uh, in, in confusion. We're going to unpack this a little bit more as we go. Not tonight. Another night. Okay? But that's what that, that's what that means. And so, God is calling His people back to his word, not to this system of confusion. The Bible is the foundation of the Christian faith. Why? Because in or John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth, not tradition. The message of Revelation 14 leads God's people back to his truth, his end time truth at the end of time. And God is leading us back to his word today. The central issue regarding the mark of the beast is worship. How do we know? Let's read. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to those who dwell on the earth. We're in Revelation 14, 6 and 7. To every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made, the heaven, who made heaven and earth and the sea and springs of water. And so here is a call to worship the creator of heaven and earth. It is a call to true worship. And so the issue is over worship. Revelation 14.9, it says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and receives or in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of of God. The angel's warning against receiving the mark is one of the most serious in the entire Bible. You know, so it's like God is, uh, God is saying, you know, whatever you do, do not receive this mark. Now, if God tells us that, do you think he's going to say, you know, sorry, uh, you're going to have to figure that out for yourself. You're going to have to figure out what the mark of the beast is yourself. I'm not going to tell you. How cruel of a God would we serve if he did that? But you see, God gives us the keys to understand. He, when we study it out, when we let the Bible interpret itself, it will interpret it for us and let us know what the mark of the beast is. God doesn't say, good luck on figuring it out. He tells us. 
the messages of Revelation 14 and these three angels, they conclude with a description to the whole universe, to those who are faithful at the end of time. Again, Revelation 14, verse 12. Let's read it all together. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So let's summarize. In Revelation 14, verse 7, is a call to true worship, worshiping the Creator. Revelation 14, verse 9, is a warning against false worship. Revelation 14, verse 12, is, it presents the true followers of God. The issue is worship. God will have a group of people who worship Him as Creator and Lord by keeping all of His commandments. God's last day message warns us against the devil's deceptions in the last days. It's an appeal to surrender completely to God and commit our lives to following His truth. What is God's desire for His end time people? It is a heart that is loyal to Him. It is willing obedience, surrendering of our will and our desires over to Him who died for us. Friends, have you come to a place in your spiritual life where you have said, Lord, I give you all of my life. All that I have and all that I am, I am yours. Kevin used to be a handsome man who had lived a wonderful life. He had a good job. He had a nice house. He had beautiful daughters and a wife of many years. One day, this all changed when he came home to discover a note laying on the table. His wife had left him, taken their bank account and his daughters. Kevin was devastated, and out of desperation, he tried to take his own life with a shotgun. Amazingly, he survived the attempt. He began to consider his purpose for living and requested Bible studies. As he read the Bible, he learned the depth of God's love, of God's forgiveness and hope. His life was changed forever as he considered what a sacrifice Jesus had made for him. Today he lives his life telling others what God has done for him and what he wants you and I to know is that there is hope no matter your situation. Friend, maybe tonight you are at your end like Kevin was. Jesus has a new beginning for you. You realize we are living on our, in earth's final moments, but your life isn't surrendered to Christ and His truth. Friend, you can leave here with the assurance that Kevin has today. On the cross of Calvary and a hill called Golgotha, Jesus said, Father, take it all. Take every drop of my blood. And Jesus, who gave all, invites you to give him your all. The Christ who hung on the cross invites us to die on the cross with him, to die to all of our selfish ambitions, all of our pride, to die to all of our lusts, and to die to all of our habits, to give him our all, totally and completely. Friends, will you do this tonight? Friends, will you give Him your all? Friends, just by a show of hands, do you choose tonight to give Him your all? 
Our eternal destinies have already been decided by the death of Christ on the cross. There is no reason for anyone to be lost. Friends, the choice is yours today. The choice is yours every day from here on out. Choose to surrender each day, each morning, and throughout the day. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity that we have here tonight to make another decision, a recommitment to you, to give our lives over to you, to let us, to, to let you lead our lives. Lord, you saw all the decisions here today. Lord, be with each of those, seal them for eternity. Bring us back on Monday, ready to learn more about your end time judgment. It's not something to fear because Jesus is on our side because we've made that decision tonight. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.